We are continuing our uh, series this week called Live Love, where we're kind of going through these statements of how Jesus told us that we should love uh, and express love. Oftentimes when we talk about love, we talk about why we love God and the love that we have for Jesus, and we start listing off all these reasons we love God. But Jesus gives us commands to not only express love to him, but to express and demonstrate that love out. And he kind of gives us these three key things. And last week we looked at this idea of loving the Lord. And we looked at how we're to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you got your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 12. And uh, we looked at a portion of this last week in kind of verse 30 where it said that we should love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we looked at this idea that that's not just telling God, oh, we love you for this or for that. It's actually living it out. That it actually comes out in our actions. And when we love God with all our heart, we have this desire to be in his presence. Like we long to be in his presence. And we looked at David and how David sometimes in the Bible, he, he couldn't sleep at night because he just stayed up thinking about God. That's loving him with our heart. We talked about with our soul, we like to do things together with God. And that we experience life together with our mind. We have this chance to explore God and ask tough questions, ask difficult questions and go to a deeper level of understanding. And all that eventually works its way out into us loving the Lord with our strength, with our body, with our resolve that we actually begin to what we think and how we're interacting with God and how we're longing to be with him comes out in what we do and how it shows up in our life. And so loving the Lord is not just meditating on God. We've got to do that. It's not just thinking all the great things and, you know, experiencing life with him. It's actually letting it play out in the resolve of our life and how we live that out. We also talked last week about this framework as we talk about loving the Lord. And and now this week we're going to look at loving our neighbor. And next week we're going to look at loving our enemies, which kind of gets steadily more difficult and difficult as we go down. But this framework that this is not a natural thing for us, is it? Like, I don't wake up, I'm not born with this natural ability to, to love God, love others, and certainly not love my enemies. My natural state, I remember, I, I don't remember when I was a baby, my parents would probably tell you this, I've done it, I've seen it with children all the time. You give a child a toy, and you put another child in the room with that one toy, what's going to happen? There's going to be a fight, right? I mean, it's like, somebody's going to grab it, and all of a sudden you're going to hear, what word are you going to hear? Mine, right? Mine. And it's probably happening upstairs right now as we speak where we just have this innate, inborn ability to think everything is about me and loving myself. And it's only through this incredible love that we experience through Christ that we're able to fully love God, love others, and love our enemy. But the second thing in this framework we talked about that this isn't natural for us, it has to come through life transformation, is this is also not the means of our salvation. Just because Jesus says that we should do this is not some way that we have to prove to him that we're a Christian. Loving others, loving our enemies, loving the Lord is not the means of salvation, it's the fruit of salvation. It shows up as we love God and as we experience this in our lives. So I want to make sure, again, just to remind us in these teachings, this is not me telling you a to-do list. If you'll do this, do this, do this, then that's your ticket to heaven. That's your ticket to eternal life. Your ticket to eternal life is Christ and only Christ. 
Nowhere in the Bible does it teach anything else other than it was about nothing of my hands. I did nothing for salvation. It was all the work of Christ. And the songs we've sung this morning are so beautifully a reminder of that, that we are His because of His great love for us. So last week we talked about loving the Lord. This week we're talking about loving our neighbor. And uh, so let's look at verses uh, Mark 12, verses 29 through 31. Just as a reminder, Jesus was being peppered with these questions, and they asked him which was the greatest commandment, and this is how he answered. He said, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And this command to love your neighbor as yourself sounds beautiful and even somewhat simple. Like, love your neighbor, show kindness to those around you, be a good friend, think about how your actions impact. We we teach that to people from the bare beginning, whether they're followers of Christ or not, right? Just basically we're saying this. We, We often try to remind ourselves, just don't be a jerk, Right? Just don't be a jerk. In, in New York, jerks are pretty easy to, to spot, right? I mean, if somebody's trying to get on the subway before other people are getting off, that's a jerk, right? I mean, you're like, come on. If you will let me off, it'll be much easier for you to get on. Are people who block the escalators? I mean, it's like, you know, you walk on this side, you stand on this side, and I'll gently remind you, but if you don't move, I will forcibly remind you, you know, it's, it's easy. Or my, my personal one is the people who come out at the top of the subways and just stop. And they just stop. Oh, what if you, I'm like, just keep moving. I mean, you'll, you'll still see it. It's still around you. It's a beautiful city, but you're holding up these other hundred people that are trying to get out of this subway terminal. We want to get out. And so it's easy to spot, and it's just like, we remind ourselves, just don't be a jerk, right? In that neighborly love, as long as we're just not a jerk to other people. And we basically think that's what it means. But Scripture here is very clear that that's actually, not, it's not just being, you know, trying not to be rude and not being a jerk. It actually says that we're to love our neighbors. These two words are mind-blowing to me. As ourselves. As ourselves. I'll let you in on a little secret. I love myself a lot. All right? I mean, I think I'm a pretty cool doctor. <laughs> like, I mean, but we all have this, like when we think our, our, our safety, our per, you know, our personal safety, our personal security, we like to be at the front. You know, we like to, we elevate ourselves. You know, we want to we be blessed. We want to feel kindness. We want to be given the benefit of the doubt. We want people to think the best about ourselves. We want people to give us some slack because we know what kind of day we had. Self-love is the most understanding love there is, right? I know more about me than anybody else, so I know why I should be loved, and I also know why I shouldn't be loved sometimes. But it's this idea of, like, I'm acting this way or I screwed up this way because I just had a bad day today or because this happened or this happened. So it's a very understanding love. It is actually the most sacrificial love there is. And this is the type of love that Jesus says that we should show our neighbors, not just to be accommodating to them, but actually elevating them. That's crazy. That's not something I do very often. I mean, that's a very challenging thought 
not just to be nice to my neighbors, but to love them as I love myself. And as difficult as maybe this is for us to take in, it was also difficult for Jesus' audience in that day. And I want us to look at a passage of Scripture, kind of a complimentary part. If you got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. And so this is another account of uh, this interaction. And in Luke chapter 10, it kind of expands on this. And Jesus deals with this question by telling a story. And so Luke 10, verse 25, I want to start reading, and it says this, Behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what should I do to inherit life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? And how do you read it? So again, what is the, the guy, what is he? He's a lawyer, right? And he says, What is written in the law? You should know this. Answer truthfully. And he answered, You should love the Lord the God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He had heard this. He had heard this before. So he knew how to answer. So he, he states this, and then Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And then this lawyer said, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And you know, to be honest, that's probably the first question I would ask as well. Like, who are you talking about, Jesus? Like, who is my neighbor? Do I, who do I need to love like, my, like myself? Like, give me this exact list. Are you talking about my friends, my family, people that live one door down from me, two doors down from me, my entire hallway, my entire apartment building, this block? Like, who all am I supposed to love? Give me the parameters and dimensions of this. Like, if people live 10 miles away from me, they're not my neighbor, right? I mean, like, help me understand at which point I can cut off this kind of love because you're asking me to do a lot. To love people as I love myself, I might can do that with two or three people, but I can't do it with everybody in my apartment building, right? Especially that guy who doesn't break down the boxes. Especially the guy who doesn't throw the trash in the right receptacles. Especially the loud guy who smokes in his apartment. Like, I can't love that guy the way I love myself, right? I mean, I, I want excuses. I want reasons not to be able to do that. And Jesus is like, no, you know, that is not what it is. Because if I, if I can limit who I love as myself, what am I actually doing? I'm limiting the way that God can express his love through me. And so Jesus answered this question. And he threw it out there. And Jesus answered it. And he gave this amazing answer. And he did it through a story. And it's probably a story many of you had heard. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. So let's read this together. Verse 30, it says this. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, if I was the guy that asked this question, I would stop right there and say, what are you talking Like I said, who's my neighbor? Why are you telling me this story? Stop with the stories and just give me a set answer. But I love what Jesus does here because he's like, no, this, this isn't cut and dry. This isn't a list of people. It's an attitude of your heart. And that's what he's telling in this story. So a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, who was another Jewish leader, a man of the law, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now let me give you a little context of understanding what's happening there was, there was one road that went from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it was, Jerusalem was up high, Jericho was down low geographically. They still are. And when you go from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's a very winding path 
one single way, and it's not a very wide road. And so when he says a man was laying on the side of the road, literally what the story says here is the the Levite and the priest, as they were coming down this road, they got off, they, they wanted to get away from this guy. They got on the off the road, walked through the rocks, through this very difficult area to traverse, walked around and came out on the other side. Like they intentionally got as far away from him as they could to avoid him. Now there's a couple of reasons they did this. One is that they were ceremonially not supposed to touch a dead body or blood. And so they're like, you know, I, I, I want to stay clean as a priest, so I'm going to stay as far away from that as I can. But secondly, you know, I, I think they were a little afraid maybe what happened to him would happen to me. And so let, let's get away from this and get away from this trouble as quick as I can. You, you see this all the time. I see it all the time in the city, right? Something starts going bad in the city, and what do people do? They go to the other side of the road. They get in the other subway car. I mean, it's just you get out of the way when things start going. And that's what these men were doing. They were heading out, getting out of the way intentionally. But verse 33 says this, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And Jesus said, Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer replied, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, You go and do likewise. And I love what Jesus did here. Instead of answering a question and defining what a neighbor is, what did he do? He actually defined what neighborly love is. He didn't say, here's who your neighbor is, but here's how you show neighborly love to whoever you come around. Who is your neighbor? Whomever it is you interact with today, tomorrow, and the next day. Whoever comes into your life, whether that be family, friends, an actual neighbor, a stranger, Whoever you're in proximity to, you're to show neighborly love to. And so that's this incredible idea. And when I read this story, there are two words and two concepts that jump out at me that I want us to focus a little bit on. And the first word is this. is found in verse 33. It says, The Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had what? Compassion. Compassion. As we walk back through this story, we see that compassion, what compassion is and how we can do what this man did. And so I want to show you a few things about compassion. First thing is this, compassion is a choice. Right? When you go back and look at the, the story, the two men that went completely around him, they were coming from Jerusalem. They were probably coming from the temple on their way home or to some other meeting. They were probably talking about how good church was that morning how great, man, wasn't that a good teaching? And they were talking about the teaching and totally missed an opportunity to show love. And instead, this Samaritan, this man who was a mixed race person, that's what Samaritan was, half Jew, half something else, an outcast to society really, stopped and he made a choice to show compassion. Every day, you and I have a choice to show compassion. We have a choice to stop and show love to others.
God has really taught me this year this, this one saying that just continues to come up in my life. And it says, it's whenever God prompts me to do something, he is preparing others to receive it. So if, if God prompts me to speak to somebody, he's preparing them to hear from me. If God's prompting me to serve somebody, he's preparing them to receive whatever it is God's calling me to do. Then when God prompts you, it is a choice to obey God or not. And we have this choice. This man made the choice. You and I have a choice to make every day. We can either choose to ignore or get involved with compassion. The question we have to ask ourselves is, why do we sometimes walk on the other side instead of stopping? Right? And we all do it. We've all been guilty of that in our life. I certainly have. It's because we often love ourselves more than we love our neighbor. You know, we, we elevate our own needs, our own schedule, our own desires above that of others. If I stop and get involved, if I have this conversation with this person, I know it's going to be a 20-minute phone call. Like it's, and it's, that 20 minutes is then going to turn into another phone call and another phone call, and it's going to take time, and it's going to take energy, and I just don't want to give it. We view ourselves as more important than the other person. And here's what I do. When I elevate myself above my neighbor, you know what that creates? It creates conflict. It creates conflict. Whenever I elevate and I diminish someone else, it's going to create conflict. And so choosing compassion is how we become people of peace instead of people of division. And when we stop and we figure out that walking by, choosing not to show neighborly love, is actually me elevating myself and me diminishing someone else, it ought to grip our hearts. And say we're to love the others as we love ourselves. So compassion is a choice. But the second thing that we see here is compassion requires a response. It wasn't just that he stopped and checked on this guy and was like, okay, he's still breathing. He's good to go. Somebody else can come along. I've got somewhere to be, but you're all right, right? Like God nods and said, okay, I'll leave you here. What did he do? I mean, he stopped and got involved. And he bound up his wounds. He put oil and wine on there. He's like, any way that he could disinfect the wounds and make sure this guy was going to be okay, he threw him on his own donkey and took him to an inn. He responded. He saw a need, and he took action. He didn't just stop to check on him. He used his own resources, whatever he had, to impact the situation. Here's the idea. When we see, and maybe we stop to choose and check, but we don't respond, we're choosing to isolate ourselves. We're like, okay, you know, I can tell a story. I stopped and talked to this guy. I took this guy's phone call, but I'm not going to really get involved. Getting involved, responding, takes our lives and integrates them with others. It is so easy to live a life of isolation. And when I say isolation, I don't mean by yourself. I don't mean that you don't go out and you don't do things with other people. But isolation means this. We do not intertwine our lives with other people. And that's what the Samaritan did. He literally took his life and he involved it completely in that other man's life. The man that had been hurt. How often are we tempted not to do that? This is going to cost too much. It's going to take too much time. Choosing to respond is how we connect our lives with others through relationships and through compassion. So respond. Don't just acknowledge that people have a problem, respond. The third thing compassion is, is this. 
Compassion is sacrifice. You see what he did in verse 35 there? He takes him to an inn. He actually stays the night with him. The next morning, he's got somewhere to be, something to take care of in his own family. And so he leaves the guy and cared the innkeeper. But what was he? He leaves money behind. A denarii was literally a day's wage. He leaves two days' wages behind and says, take care of him, whatever needs he has. Feed him, doctor, whatever he did. And if it costs more than this, I'll come back. The guy probably didn't even know the other guy's name. And yet he's still choosing to show neighborly love. Compassion isn't just feeling bad for someone. It's, it's just reaching out, not just reaching out occasionally and making sure everything is all right. Here's what it is. Compassion is jumping into the deep end with someone in their life. When they are struggling, when it is, when it is just bad, it is getting in there with them, completely submerging ourselves in our life. I had a pool growing up, and I loved to swim. Uh, from an early age, I was never fearful of water. I would jump in, swim deep in. I'd, no matter how deep the pool was, one of my, I always wanted to go down and see if I could touch the bottom. That was me. My granddad, and we called him Papa, hated water. Like, I mean, he would, he would barely even get to the pool, the edge of the pool. One day, we finally got him in the pool. He had this, <laughs> we were in three feet of water. He had this huge life vest on. I'm not talking about like this, but like this massive life vest on. He's holding on to the rope that's attached to the outside of the pool. And like he's wading into the pool trying to like, and he got up to about, coming down the steps, he got up to just above his knees. And that's where he stopped. He was like, I can't do anymore. This is, he was too fearful of what three feet of water would do. And many of us, that's what we do in other people's lives. We'll get a little bit involved. But when it means going completely into the deep end, completely connecting and sacrificing on the behalf of others, sometimes we say it's too much. But choosing sacrifices breaks down these man-made barriers that keep us from connecting with people. You know, say, I, I can't do this for this person. They're not, they're not enough like me. Or they're, they're too different. They, or they don't agree with, you know, they want something maybe I can't give them. And we, we keep holding on and keep staying in the shallow end instead of relationally going deeper. So compassion, it's a choice, it's a response, and it's sacrifice. And that's what the Samaritan did. But the second word that jumps out at me, and we want to quickly close with this, is this idea that's found in verse 36 and 37, when Jesus said, Which of these do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the man said, It was the one who showed him what? Mercy. Mercy is this other amazing concept. Mercy is often defined as not receiving what you deserve. Like, I deserve something, and somebody withheld that, and so they showed me mercy. And why would somebody do that? It's because they view me as themselves. They would like to be recipients of mercy as well. And to me, mercy here is this idea in this context of equality. That I view you as equal with me. There's not something that I'm going to define you and define me and add value to you and take value away, or add value to me and take value away from you. It's this idea of Equality. Our natural tendency is to identify and elevate the differences we see in others. So I meet somebody for the first time. 
Maybe I look at the color of their skin. I listen to their voice. Where are they from? I look at what they're wearing. I look at where they live. I hear what kind of job they have. And I start identifying differences between me and that person. And I go, they're this, I'm this, I'm that. And when we do that, it creates division. And, and that's what we typically do. But mercy does the exact opposite. It finds our commonalities and elevates those. What is something that we can agree on? What's something that we're like? What's something that we're both passionate about? This Samaritan, when he saw this man, he knew they both valued one thing. It was life. Like this man was about to die. If he didn't do something, he would die. He didn't look and see what nationality this man was, what religion he was, what country he was from, where or what job he had. Did he have enough money to pay him back? If he helped, he didn't ask any of those questions. He viewed him as an equal man, somebody created in God's image that was worthy of compassion, worthy to be loved as much as I love myself. But yet we often don't embrace equality. As a matter of fact, we, we often play life like it scales. Who's more important in this situation? Who is, who's got the upper hand in this situation? And so how do we get past equality How do we get to where we embrace equality? I just want to give you three things to think about. The first thing to do is we have to remove labels. Don't define people by this generic label. Don't look at somebody, oh, they're male, they're female, they're from this part of the country, they're from that part of the country, they're they're black, they're white, they're Hispanic, they're Asian, they're gay, they're straight, whatever it is. We like putting labels on people so we can identify differences. Don't identify people by labels. These all carry meaning, but they aren't the defining quality of each of us. Can I tell you what's the defining quality of each of us sitting in this room? You are created in the image of God. Every person in here. God designed you. He formed you. He shaped you. You were created. In his, you're not a label that society puts on you. You are a child of God. And when we can start and we view people at that starting point, that helps us to show compassion because of the way we look at people equally. So remove labels, but also remove these levels that we put in society, where we put importance based on status. If you have money, or if you don't have money, or if you're, you know, you're able to do this, you have this talent or that talent, we level people. We put people up here, 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 and here, and we, we gauge ourselves based on where we fit in that level. I mean, just think about it. How often do we equate rich with smart and hardworking? and poor with dumb and lazy. But you and I all know people in here that are rich and lazy and are poor and hardworking. Poor and smart and rich and dumb. I mean, we know them. We, we, that's not it. But we'll equate that just because of station or level of life. We've got to get past that. We've got to remove the levels. And then finally, I think this is the hardest thing to do, is to remove the layers in our life that have come over time. Where maybe I've been hurt by somebody. I'll look at somebody and go, well, this type of person I've never been able to get along with. This kind of person has hurt me. I mean, we see this with with prejudice and discrimination in our culture every day. Where I meet somebody and I immediately think, we can't be friends because we're different. Many of you know Gary and Anna who come to church. They're on a three-week vacation in Europe so we're praying for them that they enjoy that. But, but Anna, I remember the first, one of the first times I met Anna, uh, when I first met her, she was an atheist. 
And I remember we had this conversation. She found out I was a pastor, and her first thought was, and she even voiced this to me, well, we can't be friends because I'm an atheist and you're a pastor. And she had been hurt by religion before. She had had preconceived notions. I had some preconceived notions about atheists as well. But you know what? Getting past those layers and not living off those preconceived notions allowed us to become incredibly close friends. And for her to eventually experience a life transformation love of Christ in her life. So whether the historical or personal layers of hate and pride that keep us from accepting others, we have to let go of labels, levels, and these layers that keep us together. So my question to you as we close is this. Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you showing compassion? Are you walking through this life and ever whoever's in proximity to you, are you being willing to show neighborly love to But then my second question is this to you today. Are you in need of neighborly love today? As I read this story, there's two characters we didn't spend a ton of time talking about, which was the priest and the Levite. As I was finishing this sermon, it just hit me. You know who else needs neighborly love? That priest and that Levite. Oftentimes, I actually identify more with them than I do the Samaritan. I make wrong choices. I... I don't put the needs of others. And I can get mad at these guys in the story. I can call them jerks. I can call them, but just because, what am I doing? I'm not, I'm telling myself why I'm better than them. I'm I'm not equating coming back to equality. And even when we're jerks, even when we mess up, even when we fall short, we may not deserve neighborly love, but we still need it. And so today, I don't know where you are in here in your spiritual journey, and people at all different steps. But today, I want you to know this church is a place where you can experience neighborly love. That's a high value we carry. We want you to be, this will be a place where we choose to show compassion, where we're willing to sacrifice for one another, where we will show mercy, we will try to break down barriers that separate us. So this is a place where we value showing that. And so if you're coming today and you need neighborly love, you can experience that. But the best place to experience that is through a relationship with Christ. Because as much as I will try to love you and our church will try to love you with neighborly love, I want to say it will fall short sometimes. But the love of Christ is unfailing. It's unfathomable. We can't measure it. We can't explain it. But we can experience it. We experience the compassion and mercy of Christ today. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me?